big warm welcome to you. This is the Aware Parenting Podcast with Lael Stone and Marion Rose, PhD. We have juicy conversations about things that matter in parenting and life. We're exploring all that Aware Parenting has to offer from many different angles, and we are so glad that you're here. Hello and a big warm welcome to you. This is Marion Rose. And I'm Lael Stone. And today we're going to be talking about food and control. So Lael, do you want to talk a little bit about why you, you had the, the uh, inspiration for this topic today? Yes. Well, that? I think I just hear it a lot with some of my clients where some of the big issues that come up with their kids is around eating and around children not wanting to eat or children wanting to eat all the time, um, particularly sweet food and those kind of things. And sometimes I just hear, well, I hear a lot, particularly around the food, the power struggles that go on with wanting our kids to eat and eat healthy and all that kind of stuff. And so food is a huge, huge topic. (laughs) This could be many different podcasts on many levels, for not just for children, but for adults. And, you know, I'm sure you agree with me on this, Marion, that food is really one of the few things that children can control in their lives, especially when they're feeling pretty powerless around stuff. They have control over what they put in their mouths. So, you know, I often find that the two things kids usually will sometimes have stories around is toileting, so going to the toilet when they go to the toilet, you know, releasing, letting their bowels go, all that kind of stuff, and also food um, because they have control over what that looks like and how that, that can happen. So, you know, I think there's always a deeper story underneath around what's going on with, with food, uh, and it can be quite complex. And often I think... You know, for parents, it can be a, a point of just frustration because their their child just won't eat, and of course, they want to give them nutritious food, or they just become big power struggles at any kind of meal time. So, I thought this is a good one to explore because I know that it turns up for quite a few parents. And I think, you know, what, I guess the recommendations or some suggestions we'll be giving in this is relevant to many different issues that happen with our kids. Anything that really is about power and control, it's it's relevant to. Um, to any kind of issue, but I find that food and, and toileting can be a really, really big one for parents. Yes, I so, I'm so with you on that. And food in particular, because it's so, um, in our culture, isn't it, so confused between food as a way to, food is a very, very um, effective way to repress feelings as well, isn't it? As well as, a way, you know, of course we need it to, to survive. So, to me that's part of why it's so highly charged we all need to eat food uh, unless you're a breatharian Mm. and um and yet for in our culture it so often has been used as a way to repress feelings you know if uh, many of us would have grown up in that paradigm perhaps if we were upset um here have a cookie or you know (laughs) or you must be hungry come and you know i'll give you some food so i'd love uh, i love that we're bringing in two of them what I think are the key things to the key points in our parenting, which is uh, feelings and autonomy, choice, agency, control, you know, that there's such key elements of uh, uh, humanness, aren't they? So yes, so, so, um, so highly charged. So yes, yes. yes. To, so I, I would love to say, as you, as you always say, Lel, is for anyone listening today, I really invite you, we really invite you to have a lot of compassion for yourself with this, that, this can also really stir up big, um, you know, painful feelings in all of us because for most of us, 
um, we've learned to use food in ways that aren't really about listening to what our body needs when our yes. body is hungry, when our body's had enough of the actual exact type of food that is most what our body needs. We have all kinds of um, extra thing on top of extra things on the top of that, which are often very cultural. And um, so it, it's a big topic. And as you say, we could we could spend probably a whole we could do twenty podcasts <laughs> and, and unravel each each of these. Yeah. So we're going to be really um, you know, skipping around and, and playing in different and different places, but to really have lots of compassion because you know, mm-hmm. food, food, and feelings, and autonomy and control, big, big things. Absolutely, and I think that for those, I guess, who are new to our parenting, just to give you the understanding, I guess, of what that could look like for us as an adult when we are feeling upset, we won't want to eat a tub of ice cream, or we need to drink three glasses of wine or you know it really is about i'm feeling upset i need to put something in my mouth or i need something that's sweet you know i think we look often for you know i mean chocolate's known to give us a dopamine hit which is makes me feel better but but then it's short-lived and so you know i think it's that whole concept of you know i i need to put something in my mouth or i need to eat something to make myself feel better and i like i also want to add to that food can be um sign of love in many cultures <laughs> like i mean i grew up in a very bland australian family where food was oh. not not love right <laughs> it's just i mean it's a running joke in my family the food was not great growing up because it wasn't kind of one of our love languages in our family like food was just something you have to have to survive so it wasn't necessarily you know a three-course meal or put a lot of love into the food and then I, I married into my husband's family and they're european and it is all about the food <laughs> It is, I mean, like it's just amazing the joy it brings to all sit down and eat. Like when I first joined that family, I was like, what is going on here? This this celebration and love of the food, which is amazing. But, you know, then it can also be, of course, used to, you know, stifle all our feelings and control and stuff like that. So I also just want to, you know, flag that for I know for a lot of families and people, food is just a celebration it's it represents getting together it's love it's all that beautiful magical stuff which is not what we're talking about here what we're talking about really i guess is what we see in children when they want to when they don't want to eat or when they have this need to want to keep eating particularly sweets and those kind of things that you know there is something else going on underneath it so i think you know for me i guess what i hear from a lot of clients is that you know, some of their power struggles is that, you know, when they sit down to eat as a family and the child refuses to eat anything or will only eat, you know, potatoes or will only eat one thing. And then it it really taps often the parents into other frustrations and control because the child won't eat. And then how do you work with that? So do you want to speak, Marion, a little bit more to, you know, perhaps from the child's perspective, what can be going on around kind of things? Hmm. I would love to say one more thing though I really love that you brought in the cultural piece and and your husband and his family and his lineage because I actually do think as well what we bring in around food and mealtimes also does have a big impact you know how how relaxed we are around food you know how how our own our own relationship with food and our own family history around food and our own cultural history around food I think also has a really big impact on on our experiences for our children and I think you know we'll be talking about this being being relaxed in ourselves I think is one of the key things around food because if we've got any kind of tension going on around our child's eating they they are going to pick that up and that's generally going to make it so much more challenging so then what did you say what's often going on for children yes so 
So really, where do I want to go with this? It's really understanding that what I love about aware parenting, and I think we, we were talking before how what, one of the things that we really share around aware parenting is really the, the deep, deep trust in human beings, in, in our capacity to understand what we need and what we feel. And it's, it's such a deep trust, isn't it? And the way I hold it is that our bodies, right from when we're little babies, we know when we're hungry, when we've had enough. And as soon as we're eating um, you know, food that isn't milk, we, we know what kind of food is most helpful for our body. So if you know, there are studies that show if you offer um, toddlers uh, a wide variety of foods at each meal or over a number of days, that they will choose things that over time will... Uh, will be the most healthy thing for their body. So that may be, and I remember this, I don't know about you, but I remember when my children were younger, sometimes that would mean that they would, you know, want to eat big lumps of butter or something like that. And I really, really trust the, the human body and then it really knows what it needs. The only thing is in our culture, we are not taught to trust that at all, are we? As, as in the media, most of us in our parenting that we received, we didn't get that deep trust in our bodies. So we might've been told that we needed to eat everything on our plate or that we had to eat that one thing before another thing, or um, we, you know, we couldn't leave the table to eat everything or we had to eat something at a certain time, whether or not we were hungry. There are all these kind of cultural constraints around food, which actually mean most of us lose that deep, trust and knowing in our body's absolute wonderful knowingness the other thing that happens is that generally gets passed down in families is that the, the differentiation between when we're feeling upset and you know core part of aware parenting is we just need to express those feelings and we need someone to hear us and just to say no i'm right here and i'm listening and hunger get really, really confused. So the, the difference between feeling upset and feeling hungry get really confused for many, many people in, in a very, very deep way that we often can't even actually distinguish that in ourselves. So I'm going to go a bit deeper. I hope this is all right, Leo. If when we're very little, our parents in, in themselves don't know the difference between when they're upset and when they're hungry, when we're upset, they might go, they, they will tend to interpret what, how they interpret it in themselves. So they're likely to say, oh, they're upset, so they must be hungry. So I'm going to feed them. And we feed them. And then what happens for that little one is they interpret that sensation as then being hunger. So we might have been feeling really upset and actually just wanting to share that we've had a really hard day and it was really overwhelming. We want to have a big cry. And our parents might say, oh my gosh, my child's really hungry tonight. I, might, I must need to give them extra, lots and lots of dinner and loads of food and come and eat more. You, you're still hungry, you're still upset, so have, have more. So then what happens is we literally say, wow, that sensation I was feeling of wanting to cry and feeling that particular feeling in my body, that's hunger. So whenever I feel that, I, I'm going to ask for food. So it happens is there's a really deep level that our interpretation of our body sensations gets really shaped by how um, how generally our parents or, or our culture around us respond to those. So that is why this becomes so tricky because not only are we aiming to bring our children up in these ways where they actually can differentiate between when they're hungry and when they're upset, 
But often in ourselves, it requires us to start doing that similar untangling. And I, I don't know about you, Leo, but I know for me that took quite some years to do that. I remember one day I had this this sudden insight that I was, I was, it was in the evening and I was like, oh, I'm, going to go. I'm hungry, I need to eat some more food. And I realized that I was actually tired. I was not hungry. And when I really started to, to differentiate between the feeling of tiredness, the sensation of tiredness and the sensation of um, upset feelings and hunger and to actually differentiate those out. So I know this, this is kind of going deep and we don't need to start here, but I think this is where it can take us to. And I think that's profoundly needed in our culture where food is so often used, you know, they look at all the studies on uh, in inverted commas, obesity, and to actually help us differentiate between when we're actually feeling upset and when we're actually feeling hungry and to actually learn to come back to this really core trust in our bodies. And I know for myself, and I'd love to hear more after I've had this big, long talk, Lael, from you, um, for me, actually really coming back to that after not having it at all, to that deep trust is so wonderful to know this is when I'm hungry. This is the kind of food my body really wants. And this is when I'm full up and it's such an exquisite thing. And to be able to know that we can actually support our children in having that from the beginning. So they don't need to go through years of, of disentangling and unentangling those two. So I know I, I went in a bit long and deep there, <laughs> but I would love to hear what do you want to say? <laughs> I, I think that's amazing because it is, it's the crux of where it's coming from. And, and as you're talking, all I'm thinking about is it's exactly what I did with my second child. <laughs> so my beautiful daughter, Indy, you know, before I knew I were parenting, all I kind of really knew how to do was breastfeed her. Like I was a very good breastfeeder. Let me yeah. tell you, I breastfed like a football team. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I, and I really want to make, I love breastfeeding. It's yeah. super, super important, but I just used to feed her all the time. So whenever she got upset, I just put a boob in her mouth and she was one of those really roly poly, like just chubby babies. Like we all kind of, we all just love when we look at baby photos of her and she's like, mom, what were you doing to me? And I was like, oh, I was just trying to suppress your feelings. No, <laughs> no we just breastfed. It was beautiful. It was all yes, gorgeous. Right? Yes. There's no, there's no yes. nothing around any of that if, if you just feed all the time. But I guess what it was is that we fed and fed and fed and fed a lot, a lot, a lot. And I realized in looking back, you know, there were times when she was upset and I would just feed her. So what happened when I actually weaned her when she was about two is that then when she started to get upset, she would always ask for a treat. She'd just say, can I have a treat? Can I have a treat? And she was asking for treats like five and six times a day, which was sugar. She wanted something sweet. And and then again, it took me a while. And when I started to learn to come to her parenting, she was about four when I was like, oh, actually, she's, she, she's not hungry. She has got some feelings. And that's when I actually started to say no and have some boundaries around the treats. And um and then just hold space for her and then she would release and she'd have a big cry and and then it eventually stopped that she didn't want to eat. And it was interesting for her as a little one too. She would only she was really, really fussy as a child and would only eat white foods. <laughs> like it was there was like these few staples that she would eat. She wouldn't eat anything else. And there was, you know, I could really see the control around food. She wanted just certain ones and just lots of it whenever she got upset. Yes. And when I started to listen, I guess, more to her feelings and set some limits around the treats, you know, we then it then developed from, I guess, in the beginning letting a whole lot of feelings come out and then understanding more about food to then actually giving my children exactly what you're saying the trust in them to know what their body needed yeah. so feel, uh, move, uh, bleh, 
food time or meal time yes. became uh, a completely different experience because whatever I was cooking, I would always give them the options of different varieties of that to choose. So we always used to kind of have pretty much a smorgasbord in the middle of the table and really trusted them to take what they needed yes. as they would. And so I then stopped saying you need to eat some more carrots or anything. I just said, you know what you need and you can do it. And then if there was something on the table that they really didn't like, I would say, well, you can choose something that feels good for you, you know, knowing that there was healthy food that they, and then they would go and choose that healthy food. So, and I know I've heard you talk about this before, Marion about again really not putting limitations on sweets and all those kind of things to really trusting our children to know what feels right for them so what i did in my family is we didn't limit sweets or treats like they were there and i said to my kids i trust that you'll have what you need and so in the beginning they went pretty hard on the treats when it became a free-for-all so for a good few weeks they were just eating treats and I was like okay and then they completely swung back into balance where they're like oh that doesn't feel so good and I want fruit or I want you know and even now as teenagers and teenagers are known to going through eating some pretty bad stuff I think sometimes as they're growing they will always come back to choosing good healthy stuff you know and they always know I guess and go that's what I want and now particularly even my middle child Indy her palate's amazing like she's willing to try so many different things and yes. you know they all really have a beautiful appreciation of food because I think I took it from being a thing to a nothing in the sense of that I'm going to sit back into this trust that yes. you know what you need and you know what your body needs and if what I've cooked isn't what you'd like then you know that there's some other healthy options you can go choose and in that sense too it gave them autonomy over being able to choose what they wanted to eat you know then they started cooking about what they wanted to have and and now they've got a beautiful deep appreciation of food and and again you know being the grandchildren of my mother-in-law who's you know again food is love for her and and she loves to cook and we all love going to her house because we know we're just gonna eat <laughs> they they talk about how much they love that but oh, they yeah. also go oh, i couldn't do that every day we couldn't eat a three-course meal every day with all that yes. you know, my um family is hungarian so it's very stodgy eastern european food um there's not much green stuff in there and um but my kids appreciate it but then also go oh god you know, and need to come back into that balance. And I think that's the the goal of what we're wanting here is for them to tune into what their body wants. And so sometimes that would look like I'm not hungry. I don't want to eat anything. And I go, okay, mm -hmm. I trust that you know what you want. Now that's tricky to do when you have a three-year-old, right? And yes. and you think, wow, we're going to wake up in the night hungry or what's that going to look like? So, you know, I think when we're looking at how that can play out for little ones, um, you know, the first thing I would offer to parents is, okay, let's take a look at where we're sitting with that first. Is there a charge around food for us? Yes. As, as you've talked about, you know, what is our story around food? What are our beliefs? All those kind of things. What energy are we putting out there around what this food means, you know, which is such a good place to start with. And then sometimes it is really then looking at the child going, okay, are they sitting in a place where they're feeling powerless, where they don't feel like they have much choice? Or is there big change going on in their world that feels scary for them and this is the only thing they can control? If we looked a bit behind what was going on with the food, what would we see behind there around what's actually happening for the child? And then how can we work with that to create a lot more ease and connection around what food could look like? And that could be bringing a lot more fun to the dinner table it could be having picnics outside. It could be doing attachment play with food. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it could be doing anything that really is around, let's take out the you must eat this or, you know, the control that goes and bring it back to 
that sense of trust and trusting that you'll do what you need to do around it. I, I want to tell a quick little story of a client I've worked with for years who, um, of their six children, one of them really, you know, his story was that he just didn't eat at all. And, and you know, he, and that would really affect his moods. And that was really his control piece that went on because that was really challenging. You know, he was one of six kids and there was lots of different things going on. And so it was a really big concern and they tried all these different ways to get him to eat. And, and I suggested to them, what if, if you're willing to go and have a food fight one night, go outside, take the food that you're willing to, you know, waste or whatever and make it fun, like change the energy around this and let him be in charge of the food fight, right? So he was, he was the captain of the food fight and he got to call the shots and he had control and she just said it was amazing. There was so much laughter, like they threw food everywhere. And then he ate more that night than he'd eaten in a long, long, long time. Yes. Because there was connection and they'd taken the charge out of what was happening. There was, you know, they really again came back to, okay, this is the stuff around here that's about control and about, you know, some underlying feelings there. So that was something that, you know, worked beautifully. And then I think when they realised that, they went, okay, when we're starting to see that he's really funny around food, often it can be because he's feeling very powerless and he's not feeling like he has much choice. And how can we work with that away from the dinner table so that eating becomes a lot easier? Mm, I love what you're saying, Leon. Seeing what you're saying is that underlying we can trust our children's bodies, but what happens is what usually is getting in the way of that is either... um, Feelings of powerlessness that come from, uh, which are normal and natural for all children in this culture, but that also come from not having enough choice and autonomy in life. And that's a key thing that we can work with, whether we're parenting in really specific ways and giving choice, um, not using power over and doing power reversal games. So we can talk more about those. And the other piece around, you know, accumulated feelings and food being used as a way to repress feelings. So if you know, if things are going on that are tricky around food, those those are the things that are often getting in the way, which I would also say, as you're saying, our own versions around that as well. You know, our own painful feelings around food and our own old hurts and pieces around autonomy and choice and powerlessness and agency. So it's really, I really love that underneath that we can really trust ourselves, but it usually means we need to work with what's showing up in, in supporting our children to... Uh, release powerlessness, have a sense of agency and autonomy. And that can really mean even with food, as you're saying, to you know, making sure that we're not forcing them or telling them they have to do things. If, they're, if we're doing any of that, that's going to mean they're much more likely to go, nope. <laughs> and also helping them release painful feelings. So, yeah, I, I really love what you, the, the map that's, that's here. And, and I think on the, other spect- on the other side of the spectrum, you know, for children that don't want to eat is perhaps kids that are overeating, as we yes. talked about before. Yep. I guess being really mindful as the parent of when you're seeing, when they're asking for more food, knowing that they've yep. eaten and perhaps setting a loving limit and a boundary around that and then being willing to sit and s- sit there with them, listening to how they feel around what's going on, yes. around wanting something. And, and you know, it is so deeply connected because that, I mean, I, I, I really feel this. So many mums, they're like, but they could be hungry. <laughs> There's this survival thing that comes that exactly. is so interesting in this. That, and it starts from the little baby thing. Maybe they're hungry, maybe they're hungry. And to deny somebody food is, is huge, right? So there is that piece again too of really, I guess, deeply connecting in with your child and observing them and, 
and perhaps knowing that they have eaten, you know, so that they, they have got food in their belly and, and perhaps, you know, 20 minutes later they can't be hungry or that there is something else there. And you even, you know, I used to see that with when I was breastfeeding my bubbers, um, that, that, you know, when I was in there, oh, my God, they need more food because they were upset, they often wouldn't feed well at the breast. They'd pull on and off and they would fuss and they wouldn't have a good feed, whereas when they were really genuinely hungry, they would feed really well. So, you know, I found that from when I, you know, was doing that a lot with my kids that they would be very, you know, fussy on and off and not really feeding that well because it was like this a little bit of comfort and then or, you know, just something that was I'm going to stop some feelings and then go off and come back on and those kind of things. So, yeah, so they're just, again, it always comes back to being curious about your children and I always, always say, you know, to trust yourself because you know your child better than anyone about what you might observe when it comes to food and how they are with it. And I think, you know, what we're talking about here is the goal here is to have a really good healthy relationship with food. That's what we want. We want, I guess, our children to grow up to, you know, know what nourishes their body, what feels good for them, to um, take care of that, you know, to really take care of that for themselves and um, and know what resonates within their beings and not, I guess, use food to suppress themselves or, you know, the other way, controlling, you know, not eating at all. So I guess that's the goal that we're looking at here. And, you know, as always, the imprint we're setting around food is what they will often, you know, follow through with. So where are we sitting with it and what messages are we sending around what food is about? Mm, I love that. I was thinking maybe we could talk one time more about the, you know, really differentiating and understanding babies around food and upset feelings. But anyway, I did want to say, you know, as well, if a, if a child is uh, asking for food and we maybe think that they're not hungry, one of the things I find really helpful to remember is if a child's asking for something and it's a repression mechanism rather than actually a, a genuine need, there's often a different way that they'll ask. And the paradox is it's often that has a quality of more kind of agitation to it and antsiness and it has a different tone of voice. And you can often start to get, to get really clued into that. And as well as setting loving limits, we can do attachment play. So I remember with my daughter when I, when I wasn't sure um, and she would say, uh, I want some food or whatever. And I would say, do you, uh, are you hungry for food or are you hungry for a hug or are you hungry for some play? So often, you know, for, to, to really watch out, you know, I love to see, we talk about flags that um, if children are doing things and that's, as we say, this, this is so applicable to so many things, this podcast, not just food, but if, if they're doing something and we're not quite sure, is that, are they really hungry? Then often we can see it as a, as an absolute flag for feeling. So we can actually play with that in a very compassionate way to, to actually understand what's really going on for them in, in that moment. So, because what I often find is if, if children do have um, a repression mechanism around food, they may be asking six times a day, as you say, or 20 times a day. And often it can be easy and, and you know, be a little bit frustrating and, and easy to just go, no, 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 sweetheart, you know, whatever. But to actually see every time our child is asking in that tone of voice, whether it's the, you know, can I have another cookie or whatever the thing is, that we can actually move in because those, they're really telling us there are some feelings bubbling up right now. And if we move in with connection and with some play and, um, okay, you, yes, you know, do you want, do you, are you hungry for food or are you hungry for um, a ramble on the bed or are you hungry for um, mummy kisses or whatever it is? Um, 
then we're actually pouring in that love and that connection. Repression mechanisms to me often are, um, a signal of a little bit of frozenness there. So what we're doing is we're pouring in the opposite. We're pouring in the warmth and the love. And then there may be laughter that happens that helps them release some feelings that were, that were bubbling up. And then we may, they, they may move into tears or we may want to set a loving limit and say, actually, oh, no, I'm really not willing for you to have another one. And they might have a big cry, but it's really seeing the, these behaviors which could be seen it's so normal and natural you might feel annoyed or frustrated like really i've just fed you and you're asking for food 27 times and of course sometimes it is hunger you know like with with teenagers can absolutely be hungry or you know they're having growth spurt but if we're observing them over a number of days and they're they're antsy and we're observing other behaviors so they're not really going to sleep very easy and they're waking up and they're they're kind of agitated and and we can really see this is this is a beautiful way that we can actually go in. We can see that asking for sweet foods again as a really beautiful opportunity to bring in love and compassion, a bit of attachment play or a loving limit so that they can really release whatever it is that's bothering them. They can feel connected again. And then they're not going to need to ask 75 more times that day for, for more something or other. So, um, yeah, beautiful opportunities, flags for feelings. Yes, I love that. That's good. Should be hashtag flags and feelings. It is. It um, is now. <laughs> I am, um, and I also think on the flip side of that too is again, who kids who won't eat or don't want to eat stuff, and I, that's where again attachment play can be beautiful. You know, you could get them to feed you, you know, and you could be scared of eating the carrot or you could give your food voices or you could do stuff that creates laughter and takes away the charge so that it's not focused on I'm watching if you have another mouthful or you eat this and you eat that. It's more around just that there is some fun and there's some presence there together. And then, you know, giving again the child choice about what they're eating and how they're eating it and those kind of things can make a huge difference. You know, I've worked with some families where it's really hard for the child to sit up at the table, you know, and while the adults are having a conversation and, you know, this little one was three and I was like, that's tricky for a three-year-old to sit there for half an hour while you guys are having an adult conversation and be expected to eat. Like they might need to move a little bit more or maybe have a picnic on the floor and see how that goes for sometimes. And I think sometimes it's about being flexible to go, you know, what is realistic here for my child? What are my expectations and what that should look like, which can come from our own, you know, family of origin expectations as well. And, you know, what is the goal here in all of this? And if the goal is to have healthy relationships around food and connection, then how could we do that for this phase and how that might look? So, and, and look, it's also good to understand too, toddlers, some of them, you know, their palates are often very different. They don't use, they like usually bland food and that's something that feels safe for them. And for some kids that really have to work their way up to been willing to try and eat other things so sometimes it's about patience and gentleness and and trusting again that if your child is having a lot of that at this point that they will then find a way into something else as well so it's you know it, it, it's a it can be a tricky thing I, I don't know I've just come back to going I just really trust that my kids will do what they need to do like my son from the moment he came out loves food he's a poor and he's just all about central food like the the happiest place is for him going out to dinner with his girlfriend to eat beautiful food like they just and they talk about what they're gonna eat they love it right because they get a lot of pleasure out of food like they definitely don't overeat or anything but um you know even as a little one he would try anything like you could put anything in front of him and he would have eaten it because he just i don't know it's part of 
who he is. And he also could regulate himself well, whereas my second child really, you know, she could only really bland simple stuff until, you know, she developed a bit later. So I think they're all very different. And I think that, again, is about being mindful of our expectations of what we think our children should be eating and where that's at as well. Yes, beautiful. Um, I would love to say a couple more things. One is I really remember... um, when you were talking about the sitting still at the table to, to look at a bigger picture of aware parenting as well, that if we are, if we are connecting with our children, we're listening to some percentage of the feelings. I don't think any of us is going to be able to listen to all of them. But if we're listening to enough of their feelings that helps them feel relaxed in their bodies. And it means they're going to be able to often sit still, not always because children do need to move, but it's that sitting still rather than that kind of agitation, which is there. And I, I really remember that with my children that, that we could go to restaurants and things. I've probably shared this story many times, so I like to share anyway, and they could sit still and be calm and relaxed and we'd have fun together. And I, and often the, the, the um, restaurateurs would say, Oh no, they're such good children, good in inverted commas. And I'd giggle because I think, you know, they're probably, we've, pro- they're thinking that we've said, you know, you have to sit still and you should do this. And if you don't do that, and we're, you know, all that was basically, we just, you know, they both had a, a nice big cry that day and they're feeling really relaxed in their bodies. So, of course, they can sit still and we're quite happy too. So, so in general, aware parenting really helps because the more relaxed in their body a child feels, the more they're able to sit and, and relax and be present at mealtimes if it's enjoyable enough for them you know of course we don't expect I think it's also taking into account their needs and they're not going to always want to do the same things as us and to really look through their eyes it's really important but you know the also the digestive system is so related to feelings isn't it we we all know that if we're feeling some fear or um or, you know, we've got something going on and our tummies can be churning or we may feel sick. Food, tummies and feelings and digestion are so related. So as well, if our children have got uh, unexpressed feelings that are really sitting in their in their gut and their belly, it's also going to be really, really hard for them to eat. So sometimes it can be even that. It's actually until they, until they get to have a really big cry, they are not actually going to be able to actually sit down and, and digest the food. It's going to feel uncomfortable. So um Sometimes it might be, you know, they're asking for different types of food or a different spoon or, you know, they want the pink spoon. The pink spoon is maybe in the dishwasher and they start to have a really big cry about the pink spoon. Really remembering, and you know, Letha talks about the, the broken cookie phenomenon. If they're having a really big cry over something little like that, instead of, instead of trying to fix it, of course, we're doing everything we can to meet their needs. But if we're doing everything we can and they're still agitated and they're still antsy and they're really trying to have a big cry, we can simply say, sweetheart, the, you know, I'm, or, you know, I'm not willing to give you that right now or no, the pink spoon's in the dishwasher right now. And yeah, you really want the pink spoon, sweetheart. Yeah, I so hear you. And the pink spoon's in the dishwasher. Have a big, massive cry. Feel so relaxed in their bodies. That tension in their, in, in their gut is, is relaxed somewhat. And then they can actually eat. So it's really helpful to understand that feelings and food are so intertwined, the digestive system so intertwined. So the more we focus on their emotional well-being in a general way, the more that's going to mean that food and eating and mealtimes and all of that stuff is so much easier. 
And that, uh, yeah, I, I love all of that. That that also makes me, you know, think about too about toileting for some kids. Yes, like, so much. Yes. You know, going to the toilet, like, yeah. and emptying their bowels and all that kind of stuff. Like as you're saying, it's all connected to our digestive system as well. So for some kids, they hold on. You know, when there's there's a lot of tension in their bodies and they're holding on, it's not safe to let it go. Yep. They will hold on for a long time, you know, and then can get that can get impacted. That can be really tricky, yes. you know. There's also the yeah, and, and like the food thing, you know, toileting can be some places where children feel like that's the only control they have. They can Absolutely. control the toilet or not, yeah. and you know that that sometimes taps into parents when they're like, "I need you to be toilet trained," or "I need you to be out of nappies," or there's a pressure there, and the child's like, "Whoa, I'm don't pressure me. Like I'm not ready for that," and and that can sometimes play out as well in you know in kids not having the willingness to do it but also you know it can be around you know control or fear or, or you know there's many other elements within it as well that, that can be interconnected so yes. so to, I think on a bigger picture it's really about looking at firstly how are we turning up as the parent and what energy and message are we putting forward around these topics yes and what is what is our belief system and our stories around it and are they even true? Like that's the thing too. I think some people have got really interesting things around food and eating and how that should look. And just because that's what they were brought up with, and it's good to question: Well, is that is that good? <laughs> like, or does that actually feel good for you? Or is what they're saying actually true? You know, and um, and getting to really question those to then come back to: Well, what do we want this to look like? And what would I want family meal times to be like? And what do I want my child's relationship to be with? about you know what what is that that i deeply want for them so how can we how can we work towards you know imprinting that in a new way Mm, so beautiful i love it i'd love to talk a little bit more around the whole trusting thing because i have a few i don't often have stories but i have some stories that i'd really like to share so you know we talked about trusting children that we can trust children unless they clearly have some big feelings sitting there or um, some powerlessness and needs for autonomy and choice sitting there. Um, so what I did with, uh, well, the father of my children, I, we did with our children when they were younger in particular, is we really followed that whole self-regulating around food. And, and you know, he and I would play that with that as well. So I remember we used to go to our favorite restaurant for the, probably over two or three years and there was this most delicious chocolate mousse cake it was so delicious so we used to go in and we used to have it before the savory so we used to go and we'd say we were having the sweet first we want the pudding and so you know really playing around with things like that another thing I did for quite for quite some time is um me and each of my children we would have a, a shelf so this was after uh, their dad was no longer living with us we'd each have a shelf in the in the fridge so when we go to the shops I would say you know what would you like for your for your for your shelf and we'd each have our own shelf and uh, I would generally like prepare the food so I'd, I'd chop it if it was carrots I'd chop them up into nice slices and I'd prepare it all when I got home and put it into the little glass containers that were in their shelf and at any point any time they could come and help themselves to anything in that on their shelf and when it ran out you know they could say can you get me some more whatever it is and that was so such a beautiful thing and it really to me gave them that deep deep trust and knowing that they could listen to their bodies they knew I I really remember with my daughter we were playing around with this she was about two or three three I think 
and because I was specifically focusing on on this whole self-regulating around food I would ask her we'd sit down and I'd say so let's tune into our tummies and you know are you feeling hungry and she'd go yeah and we'd we'd take a few bites each and then we'd say look should we check in again how are we feeling and I actually realized she was way more connected to that than I than I was at that point I think now I you know I'd be I'd exactly know, but then she knew. So that was kind of a little game we would play around. Can we tell? So if you're playing around any of these things and there are always ways to make it fun and to make it connected. And, and the final story is to show that to me, it really in inverted commas works is you've, you've been to my house, you've seen, and it's always a funny running joke that we have now about three years of Easter eggs still sitting in our fridge that, that my kids have got. They don't want me to throw them away. They've got all this stuff from, you know, they get given stuff for Easter and Christmas and stuff, and they just have no, no urgency around eating it. And just, you know, and that was because to me, you know, they had enough of their feelings heard and they had so much autonomy and choice and trust. So they, they didn't have that. Oh my gosh, if I, if I don't eat this all now, I won't get to have it. They're like, you know, I can have it anytime. So I actually don't really like your kids. It's like, well, I actually don't really want it. Cause I know I, if I'm connected enough in my body, I know it doesn't feel good. And I'd love to add one more thing, which is, in order to know what our bodies are feeling and whether we feel hungry or full up or whether a food is enjoyable for us or whether we feel sick, we actually need to be feeling present in our body. And we talked about this similarly in the saying no. If we're full of feelings and if our child is full of feelings and they're needing to tense up to protect themselves from feeling those feelings, it's very, very hard to feel the state of their tummy and whether they're hungry and whether they're full and what food they need. So again, in a general sense, the more capacity we have to listen to their feelings, the more feelings they get to express and get to leave their bodies, the more relaxed they are in their bodies and the more sensitive they are and they can feel. Actually, I'm not hungry right now. Or, yes, I, you know, I'm really hungry and I really would like, um, you know, whatever it is, they, they know, they, they can feel that and they can feel when they've had enough. But we can't do that if we're all tense and agitated and, and trying to repress it with, you know, three bags of cookies or whatever it is. So, mm. yes, I agree. I, I, that's such a beautiful point. I really, I really resonate with that. Is that it's we need to be tuned in to know, like to feel. And yes. I mean, I, I've many of the things that we've talked about. When you talk about that with food, I talk about that to teenagers when we're talking about sex yes. and we're talking about being with someone and you know again i really see like so much of the goal in raising children is getting them to tune into themselves getting them to tune into their gut to their intuition to that inner voice like that is such a gift to be able to implement with our kids from a young age of going what what do you think what does your body need what's your body telling you right now it needs i mean they're beautiful simple things that you can say to your kids it can, can be part of just the dialogue that you have constantly so that they're aware of what that feels like. Oh, so, yeah, I love it. It's simple, so simple isn't it? So, so yeah. simple, yeah. Do you actually mm. another thing I seem to have the stories today, which I don't often was, we would also, I do most of my shopping in a health food shop, I'm really grateful to say, and it's beautiful. And so at some point, again, when we were really focusing on this, I, we'd all go in and we'd actually have a bit of fun to go around and see if our, see if our, um, our, our bodies would tell us what kinds of food we were needing over the next few days and go actually wow that you know that broccoli is really calling out to me right now and I, and I still do that I wonder if you do too it's like really sensing into you know, I really deeply trust that our bodies know exactly what mm-hmm. they need and if we if we can have fun with that and we can listen into that and as a family if we can if we can bring in that fun thing like wow you know as you were saying when you're cooking things would you like this or this or making a smorgasbord or 
finding some way to do that. And I know if, you know, if money's tight, this can be a bit tricky, but there's always going to be a way of, of offering some kind of choice and listening in, even if it's, I don't know, you know, going picking some, some things from the garden or whatever it is. Mm. I just, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like 20 years of cooking family meals. (laughs) (laughs) Completely not really love cooking. Um, I I used to find it was such a win if I could make something that everybody liked and enjoyed, which is why I always made versions of it. And now, I mean, having teenagers, I'm like, you guys, you're cooking tonight. What do you you make? Like, and I often will at the beginning of the week say, what do you want to cook for this week? And I'll go get all the food for you and then you guys can make it. So that's so wonderful. They make a meal, you know, most, I think all my kids, well, depending on will make a meal for us for the week, right? So that means I don't have to cook as many meals. So that's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> um, I think you ran out of a repertoire after you've been doing it for really, really oh long. Oh my god! I ran out after about four years of parenting. I was like, oh no, I've had enough. <laughs> and then when you try and introduce something new, and I'd be like, please, everybody like. It. If everybody likes it, I'm like, woohoo! We've got another, <laughs> got another meal. We're going to add to the list. But I think that's really beautiful to to give you know kids some autonomy on what they can cook oh, and teaching yeah. them to cook and teaching them to you know it's, I think it's really beautiful and yeah so, yeah I, I really feel for any mum out there who's sick of cooking. Yeah, yeah, we send so much yeah. love and compassion to everyone. Oh, now. Really? I do not want to cook right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think given if I could really tune into what I would want, I wouldn't cook for anybody. <laughs> I would maybe just eat, eat salad because that's what I enjoy or just simple stuff feels good for me. But, you know, then there's a part of it. I'm going to nourish my family. So, yeah. you know, what can I cook? was good for them but then you know I, I often do that okay you know the beginning of the week I say what do you want to eat this week and if they go I don't care I go I don't care it's not on the menu <laughs> you know, so, so it would always be a bit funny or you know what are you going to make or I send them to the supermarket I go here's money go buy stuff so you can come home and cook it so it's yeah That's it's nice so lovely. Yeah, the freedom around it is it's lovely it's beautiful so, yeah. and then uh, do you know I have to share this story because I love it so much um, my mother-in-law, who's a beautiful um, Hungarian cook, and um, she makes, you know, really amazing Hungarian food. And my son, being the one that really, really loves food, um, you know, last year he was training once for soccer and he said, Mom, look, no offence, but I just, I'm going to need way more food because I'm training a lot. So I think if it's all right with you, I might ring Nanny and I might ask her to cook me some food and um, and then you won't have to do it. And I was like, oh, that's such a brilliant idea. He rings his grandmother and he's like, Nanny, and he played it this way. You know how you're a much better better cook than Mum? <laughs> <laughs> completely she loves that because she, she's a great cook but she also loves to nurture with food yes. and so he's like do you reckon you'd be able to make me some meals so she was in heaven she made him about 20 meals that he could freeze he got all this good hungarian cooking that he could then fuel his body with to play soccer and i didn't have to do it it was a win for everybody Amazing. i was like yes i was like Again, darling, if you want more food, just ask your grandmother. It's awesome. I don't know. Good story. I know we have a, I know, I know you're winding up, but I have a couple more stories. One is a joint friend of ours, which I won't name her because um, she may not want to be named, but I really remember spending time with her and, um, you know, again, to see how much our, the, our energy and how we feel and our, and our own things around food have such a big impact on our children. 
So what she used to do is they invented these things after my children were, were small. And I was a bit upset because I would have loved one, but she, you know, those little kind of things they can stand up at the counter and it's like got the three edges on. Anyway, she would do that and she would um, support her daughter from quite a young age to, to do, help with the cooking. They would do cooking together and she would give her things that were, that were safe for her to do and, in, and involve her in it all. And, and, Oh my God, it was just so, I always remember, do you, do you know who I'm talking about? And you've seen her, do it. did you mean that? I was just, it was like every time, going, oh, that's so amazing. So just, she just really included her. And you know, I think we're all different. So some of us are going to go, yes, I love that. And other people, you might be listening, you might be going, there's no way I'm going to be doing that. But you know, it's finding our own, you know, what works for each of us and being compassionate with ourselves for that. You know, I know some parents who are like, you know, similarly, they love growing their own food and they love um, picking it and they're with their child and the whole energy and they love cooking. And then their child often, you know, will really, or children will often, you know, gain that through osmosis, that same um, experience. So again, it's all, we're going to be all different, being compassionate with ourselves, but seeing within that, whatever of our own inner work we can do so that we come to a, a relatively calm space around mealtimes, whatever we can do that's going and sharing with our friends about how frustrated we are, our empathy buddy or, you know, a professional listener so that we can go in and, and be making sure that we are offering those two pieces, the autonomy and the choice and wherever possible listening to feelings so that our children do, do have that deep basic trust in their bodies. And it's one of the most exquisite things, isn't it? Trusting our bodies. Totally. I love it. I love it. I have it now. I really yes. missed it when I didn't. And I love that I have it now. <laughs> yes, yes, I love. And I think that, you know, this, I guess, would be my offer with that compassion piece of if you do feel the need to eat a tub of ice cream, then you need to just be kind to yourself. Yes. Okay. Like, yes. why don't we talk about repression mechanisms all the time? They're, this, they're there to protect us and we have to yes. be compassionate and kind to ourselves. So, yeah. food is one of yours. It's just being, I just find being curious about it, going, exactly. oh, I'm going to do this now because. I'm feeling a bit like this and it, there's no judgment around it. There's no point beating ourselves up if we do it because it's usually just something that we've learned is what's going to protect us and, and that is okay. You know, so it's lots of compassion, you know, for yourself around around that kind of, you know, if that is something that you use or if you see that your child is, you know, using them in some way, again, deep compassion to just go, okay, what's going on there? How can I work with whatever this story is to help them feel more in balance? You know, that's, I guess, the goal. Yes. So it's really gradually over time being able to replace, gradually <laughs> over time to replace the, the food with listening and presence mm. so that takes that takes time takes mm. if anyone wants to learn more about that and haven't you haven't listened to our repression mechanisms do, what do we call it is that what we called it i think we did um yeah. podcast where we talk more about all of those things and yeah there are all kinds of ways to actually to to transform those into into deep compassionate connection so yeah. yes yeah have you got an offering for the marion to feel into um i haven't specifically on a course but in my aware parenting with marion membership we had we did just actually do a um a month uh i have we go through themes and the the theme last month was um food and feelings so we did talk about all this stuff in detail even more detail than we talked about but different things um mm. and all of those are available as replays in the membership so yeah mm, beautiful beautiful how about you what would you love to offer you do oh, I just 
that does great sessions. <laughs> yeah, I do. Look, I know. I mean, I talk to a lot of parents about food. I think that's why I wanted to bring it up because yes. it's something that often with mainly with toddlers I see it, but also sometimes with older kids yes. that parents do come saying this is an issue and I don't know how to deal with it and that's why I wanted to bring it up. I do hear it a lot as just a, as a really common thing that can happen, you know, in families where kids have, you know, got something going on with it. So that's why I think, you know, to just, yeah, if, if you do feel like you want some extra support around it, then we have lots of other ideas and things too that we can work with in, in building that or even just exploring deeper what your story is within it can be really powerful. Yeah. Can yeah. I have one more thing? Yes. I've, I've really reconnected with one of my deepest passions around aware parenting. I have many is to, if anyone um, wants extra support around with their baby to actually really differentiate between hunger and, and painful feelings. It's one of my absolute passions because, you know, it was a real journey for me between my daughter and my son. So that's mm. something I really love to offer. So just mm, beautiful. <laughs> yes. 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 You can. Yeah. Marion is like, just the whiz at the babies i'm like give me the teenagers yeah teenagers <laughs> go to lao babies come to me anyone else in between i'll land babies to you but you know anyone else in between you know yeah. we, we love them both i know it's so beautiful so beautiful all right well thank you everybody for listening again and um well, can know. i offer one more thing actually yeah, i know you put it in the notes but uh Aletha salter in her book um cooperative and connected she has a really fantastic chapter called eating and ailments where she also oh, goes cool. into all of these things and really so gorgeous so awesome. um, i really cannot recommend all of letha's books more highly really if you're mm -hmm. into aware parenting i so invite you to get all of them even if that's from the library read them yeah. reread them because yeah the depth of richness that she has in all of those so really recommend they're that. amazing aren't they they're so really amazing <laughs> when you read them you get something out of them each time too i think it just is yeah depending on where you're at yeah it's beautiful super yeah. beautiful uh, all right, that will all be in the show notes. All right, well, so I hope if you've finished listening to this, you can go make yourself something really yummy to eat. <laughs> and enjoy every mouth with pleasure. And just go, I, I love this. You know, oh, oh there's one other thing. We didn't talk about it. But uh, this <laughs> we is... We keep remembering things. Um, I had this, um, one of my oldest, most beautiful friends, you know, we, we used to talk about food. You know, she, you know, she grew up with a, a kind of a, a mum that always used to kind of pull her up on eating, like you shouldn't eat more, shouldn't, you know, and it's really, there's a whole lot of stuff around weight in there. And she talked about as an adult, I used to love it. She says, every time I eat something, I'm going to eat it with love. I'm going to eat it with just that this is wonderful and this is nutritious. And whether that's a cake or a carrot, I'm just going to bring that energy to the food. And I love yes. that. So yes. I was like, don't eat with guilt, you know, don't eat with like punishment or all those kind of things. Eat with joy and love no matter what you're eating because, again, that brings a vibration to it. And exactly. I've always remembered that. I think that's a really beautiful thing. So, Yeah. I go. love that. I have a few. I have a few more. But anyway, one more I would like to say is, if you do find yourself, if you do have eating as a repression mechanism, there's also always a way in. Like we said with children, there's always a way in to deep connection through the repression mechanism, and it's the same with us. And one of them can simply be, if you're about to take that bite of chocolate ice cream, even if for one breath you're willing to be present in your body, mm. that already changes things because it, it's it becomes about self-connection and self-compassion and that is the antidote to repression so there's always a way through and 
no, we're all about the compassion and mm. I wanted to share that. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. I love, I think when we started this as well, well, this will be a quick one. We said, like, we'll just talk for half an hour and it's, you know, but all the good, all the good stuff around food. It is a huge topic. It's such yes. a big topic. So, yeah. Yes. All right. Well, so, you know, the drill, you, you like us, you can rate us and you can share it and all the good stuff. And please write in if you have questions and we would, um, or any suggestions for podcasts, because we will definitely, um, we will keep them coming. So thank Thank you for being here with us. We really appreciate all the beautiful comments and messages we get. It really, um, it really touches us. Yeah. And I so want to acknowledge all that you're doing. I imagine most of you might be parents, but all that you're doing to, to prepare food, create food, all those things. So, so much acknowledgement and appreciation and love to you. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. Thanks for being here, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on the Aware Parenting Journey. Please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Aware Parenting Podcast. You can find more about Lael at www.laelstone.com.au or find Marion at www.marionrose.net. We wish you much compassion and grace on your parenting journey.